Well, morning, everybody. Uh, good, to, good to see you. Good to be together. Um, let's pray for God's help as we turn to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we need your mercy, we need your help to understand your word, to have it um, dwell within us, for it to change us. We need you to be at work by your spirit. So we pray, please, would you be at work in our lives this morning as we receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Is God hiding is God hiding? Um, one of our favorite TV shows is Hunted. I don't know if you've come across it or not. Um, Hunted is basically a giant game of hide and seek. Um, on the one hand, you've got a team of hunters. Um, they're full of, uh, they do the seeking. They're full of analysts, ex-police, ex-army, reconnaissance people. They've got helicopters and drones and computers and CCTV. They do the seeking. And then you've got the fugitives. We do the hiding, um, basically ordinary people with a, a sleeping bag and a map, and they play hide-and-seek across the country. And it's really, it's a fascinating, dramatic uh, program as you see these fugitives doing whatever it takes to stay under the radar, to stay hidden, hiding in the boot of cars, um, sleeping uh, in tents in the middle of nowhere, away from CCTV, desperate not to be found. And sometimes it gets very, very dramatic. You have these hunters uh, knocking on the, the door of the house where these fugitives are hiding upstairs in the loft or whilst they're out the back trying to escape out a back window. Knock on the door, calling through the letterbox. I think that sometimes some of us can be tempted to think that God is like one of those fugitives, out there, but hiding, hiding from us. After all, we don't see him, he's invisible. We don't hear him, at least we don't hear him the way you're hearing me now, speak audibly, we don't hear him like that. We don't always tangibly feel his presence with us or see answers to our prayers for help. We know that he's there somewhere, we're not atheists in that sense. We still see his footprints and fingerprints around the place. But deep down, at times, not always, but at times, we can feel like God is hiding. Is God hiding? Well, I think our passage today from uh, John 1, 14 to 18, I think our passage today shows us definitively that God is not hiding but that he is publicly, visibly, spectacularly revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God has, in fact, always been into revealing himself to us. From day one, he revealed himself in creation. You think of Paul in Romans 1. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made. God has revealed himself in creation. He reveals himself to us in his word, the Bible, uh, telling us who he is, showing us what he's like and as we see him act in history. But God doesn't stop there. 
Because ultimately, God reveals himself to us in the fullest sense in the person of Jesus. God became a man. Last week, we were thinking about this character, the Word, uh, from the beginning of chapter 1, the eternal Son of God, the one through him all things were made, the source of life and light. And in verse 14, we're told that this Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The eternal God, who was there in the beginning, has always been, became a man, taking on flesh and bones. And we, we know that truth, and we uh, say that truth. It is an extraordinary thing when we stop to think about it. God became a man. And he did so not to live up some mountain in the middle of nowhere by himself in perfect serenity, but to dwell among us, we're told. Literally, to tabernacle among us. Uh, that's what the word there means, just as God dwelt with his people in the wilderness, in the tabernacle. So God tabernacles with us. The word tabernacles dwells among us. God became a man. And it really did cost him everything. In 1863, there was a, a priest uh, called Joseph Damien. He went to help a leper colony on one of the Hawaiian islands. And the, the people there had been banished. Uh, they were without family, without friends, without any kind of help. And he went to live among them. Uh, he buried their dead. He cleaned up their water system. He built schools for them and hospitals and churches and lived among them and helped them. But then one Sunday morning, 18 years after arriving, he got up to deliver his weekly sermon in one of the, in one of the churches. And after just two words, the whole congregation was totally stunned because he began his sermon by saying, we lepers. It was his, his way of saying that he too had now contracted the disease. And that is like God in, in Jesus. God becomes one of us. Not just subjecting himself to getting tired and sad and sore and sick, but willing even to contract the disease that all of us carry, mortality. And so he can say to us in all sincerity, we humans, God became a man, costing him everything. But why? Why does he do this? Well, I guess the Bible answers that question in, in different ways. We'll think about another reason uh, later on as we come to the Lord's table. But according to John in these verses, why does he become a man? Well, we see that God becomes a man, costing him in everything to make himself known. The word becomes flesh to, to show us God, to show us God's glory. So that John can, can say in verse 14, we have seen his glory. And in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son has made him known. God became a man, costing him everything to make himself known. I don't know if you remember um, pen pals. I guess it's something that's kind of died a death a bit 
um, now, but the idea was fairly straightforward. You'd, you'd write to someone maybe in Canada or Australia or New Zealand or America, somewhere like that, and in theory, they would write back. And of course, prov providing if you had a pen pal, providing your pen pal was honest, you, you would be able to get to know them a bit. You would be able to find out what food they like and what hobbies they had and who, who was in their family. You couldn't ever claim to know them well, but you did know things about them, true things about them. But of course, if your pen pal were to take a flight and to come and visit you, well, simply by being with you and in your presence, they would be allowing you to get to know them so much better on a whole other level. After their visit, you wouldn't just know their favorite foods and their hobbies, because you'd have seen their character, their temperament, their values. You'd have seen what makes them sad and what gives them joy what makes them tick, because they hadn't just written a letter, but they had visited you in the flesh. And likewise with God, God reveals himself to us in creation and in scripture and in history, and we can know so much about God through these, these means. But the pinnacle is that God has come and visited us in person, that we, with our eyes, might be able to see him in the flesh and know him deeply. God is no fugitive on the run from us. No, he's a, he's a father who is seeking us out that we might know him. Through his son, who knows him perfectly and who resembles him exactly, God makes himself known. And I guess the question that we then ask is, well, okay, God became a man, it cost him everything to make himself known. I guess the question we want to ask John is, well, what was he like? You know, when someone says, oh, you'll never guess who I met today, and then goes ahead and names someone very famous, we say, well, who, tell us, you know, what, what's your take on them? Uh, what are they like? Well, likewise with John, we say, look, John, you saw him. You saw his glory. He was with you. So tell us, what's he like? What's your take on him? And, and to that question, I, think, I guess on the one hand, John would smile and say, well, look, how long have you got? At the end of his, at the end of his gospel, John finishes it by saying that the, the whole world wouldn't be a library big enough to house the books that could be written about the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who he is and what he's like. What's he like, John? John says, well, how long have you got? But here, he also is kind to us. He also gives us his best summary of the Word made flesh, summing him up in just five words. And it's there at the end of verse 14. God in the flesh, God become a man, what's he like? John says five words, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You see it in verse 17 as well. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Just like his father, he is full of grace, uh, compassionate, willing to forgive, eager to help, generous and merciful, seeking out messy people to offer them forgiveness and eternal life, reaching out to those who are moral failures, 
to befriend them, to show them undeserved kindness. If we were to read on in the gospel, you'd see it again and again. In chapter 4, we see him offer eternal life to a woman whose life was just a, a, a relational mess, the Samaritan woman. In chapter 21, we see him extend the hand of friendship and reconciliation to one who had denied all knowledge of him at the cross. I don't know the man, Peter. God in the flesh, what's he like? Full of grace. Full of grace. And full of truth. You know, we live in a world that is full of fake news and echo chambers and people telling us what we want to hear. And in those kind of circumstances, it's hard to know what can be true, isn't it? Well, John says of Jesus, he's full of truth, just like his father, completely trustworthy, always honest, never glossing over inconvenient truths, telling us how things are. And of course, at times that can make for some painful listening. It's not nice to be told that we need to be forgiven or about the reality of God's judgment. But he's full of truth. He doesn't tell us those things to ruin our lives, but for our good, so that we might know what is true, so that we can be liberated from the guilt of sin. God became a man, costing him everything to make himself known. Well, what's he like? Full of grace and truth. Well, so what? How does this impact us? Well, let me just suggest four lessons for us as we reflect on this. I guess uh, first lesson, first question for us is, will we open the door to him? Will we open the door to him? Uh, we said at the beginning that often we can assume that, that, that God is hiding and that we are seeking Actually, as we've seen it, it's the other way around. God's not out there hiding. If you like, he's in becoming a man in the person of Jesus, he's knocking at our door, calling through our letterbox, seeking us. I guess this was maybe where the, the hunted illustration breaks down. He's doing that not to catch us, but to, or, no, or to spoil things for us, but to give us grace and truth that we might receive those things. And maybe just a lesson, a lesson for you, I guess, if you, if you haven't yet trusted in the Lord Jesus, you're looking into things, you're considering it, God wants you to know him. Uh, God wants you to know what he's like. In becoming a man, he's knocking at the front door of your life, offering grace, seeking peace and friendship. I suppose the question is then, will, will you open the door to him? Will you turn from your sin and follow him that you might know the living God? Will you open the door to him? I guess second lesson, um, are you looking for God in the right place? Are you looking for God in the right place? I guess speaking here to, um, to those of us who are, who are believers, I guess sometimes as believers, we can, um, we can so crave uh, personalized, bespoke, subjective experiences of God that we can kind of neglect 
his objective revelation of himself in history. I'll just say that again, then I'll explain what I mean by that. As believers, sometimes we so crave kind of personalized, bespoke, subjective experiences of God that we can kind of neglect his objective revelation of himself in history. What do I mean by that? Well, let me put it this way. Sometimes we can spend all of our time waiting for God at the back door, if you like, expecting and hoping that he's going to visit us in some particular way, hoping and expecting to, to hear God speak to us, maybe even with just a whisper, uh, hoping that, he will, that we'll be able to feel his presence tangibly with us all the time. Uh, we want God to reveal himself to us in bespoke, personalized ways. And sometimes he does, sometimes we do very much feel his presence tangibly with us, not necessarily all the time. But when he doesn't visit us like that, we may well feel, God, where are you? Why are you hiding? Why are you staying away from me? Aren't you there? That's not because he is hiding. It's only because we may be expecting him in the wrong places. When in fact, in the person of Jesus, as, rec as recorded for us in Scripture, he is knocking on our front door, calling through our letterbox. And so rather than hoping for repeated personal visits by the back door, I guess the question is, will we open the front door and look at the Lord Jesus as he's been revealed to us in history? Because there, in him, we see God revealed to us with brilliant clarity. We see exactly what he's like. We see that he loves us, that he is with us, that he cares for us, that he wants to be known by us. So the question isn't so much, God, where are you? The question comes back to us is, will we gaze at the Lord Jesus, the man through whom he has revealed himself to us? You know, we've got 39 books in the Old Testament pointing forward to his coming. No fewer than four gospel accounts of his life documenting that for us. And a whole New Testament unpacking his identity and the significance of his coming for us. Will we focus our gaze on, on him? Are we looking for God in the right place? Let's be those who look at the Lord Jesus. I guess third lesson, I think this, this calls us to be humble. I think realizing who's who in the game of hide and seek changes everything. Because if we think that we're the seekers and that God is the hider, then when we find him, we're gonna be delighted with ourselves. We'll think, well, great work me. I've done a superb job. I'm so clever to find God. But actually, when we realize that, that God is the seeker, and that by nature, we're the ones who hide. Well, there really is no place for pride. You know, when you lose at hide and seek, you can't boast. <laughs> Someone has found you despite your best efforts. And likewise, when it comes to knowing God, there's just no place for any of us to boast or to be pride. I'm clever. I'm in tune to spiritual realities. I know God. Well done, me. No, because it's not that we find God 
or that we have used our brains to work God out, well done me. No, it is that God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He has made God known. No place for pride. The only reason that we can know what God is like is because he's chosen to reveal himself to us. If he hadn't, we just wouldn't have a clue. We'd be totally in the dark. So this calls on us to be humble as we reflect on our knowledge of God. But then fourthly and finally, this calls us to be sure, to be sure, to be certain in what we know about God. I think our culture loves to warn us about the dangers of certainty. Yeah, to be sure, well, that's to be proud, isn't it, we get, we get told. You've got to have an open mind. You've just got to hold loosely to the things that you know about God because you might be wrong, we, we get told. And if what we know about God came from our own discoveries and our own thinking, well, yeah, maybe that warning would be fair. But given that what we know about God comes from God revealing himself to us in the person of Jesus, then in fact we can be sure. And more than that, we must be sure. Is God really gracious? Is he really truthful? Is he really willing to forgive? How can I be sure? Maybe I'd better worry about that a bit. No, we can be sure. We must be sure. Because these aren't our flawed ideas about what God might be like. This is who God has revealed himself to, to be in the person of the Lord Jesus. So finally, let's be sure, let's be those who, who don't hold lightly to these truths about God, but who hold them tightly with confidence, with certainty, with, with, with surety, because God has revealed himself to us in Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray.